Let's spend some time in prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. It's so great to have a big brother. Good morning, Holy Spirit. So thankful you've moved in to assure us we have a father and, and big brother. Hallowed be your name in our songs, in our preaching, in our worship today, in our families, in our school, in our, in our work this week. May we exalt your name, Jesus. We pray that your kingdom would come, starting with us. King Jesus, help us to follow you this week. Help us to spread the gospel of the kingdom to others. We pray, King Jesus, for you to return <clears throat> and make all things new. We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on, our, on us. Help us to delight in doing the will of God. And may others see us doing your will and want to join us. Give us this day our daily bread. You know our financial needs as individuals and families and as, as a church meet our needs and all of our physical needs. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We have sinned much. Forgive us. Oh, and as you forgive us, help us to forgive those that have wronged us. We pray that you would not lead us into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil within us, our flesh. Deliver us from the evil around us, the world always trying to squeeze us into its mold, and deliver us from the evil one. As we open your word today, we pray you would teach us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before we get to Genesis, we're going to take a little stop in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me, otherwise it's going to come up on the screens. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, says, Flee immorality. <clears throat> the title of today's message is Flee Immorality. The point of today's message is Flee Immorality. Um, I watched way too much football yesterday. Could I say go Gators? It was a good day. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. But you know what? If you play defense, especially against a team like the Gators, th th there's all these different plays you have to defend against. It's so confusing because there's so many different plays, but our enemy only runs three plays. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. He has a very limited playbook, and he runs the same plays over and over again. And those plays destroy lives, they destroy marriages, they destroy ministries. And what are they? Sex. So the Bible says what? Flee immorality, run. And one of them is money, right? The love of money. So what does the Bible say? It says what? Flee the love of money. And the other one is power. Maybe in Washington, D.C., some things going on with power, huh? Listen, those three plays, if you want to look at what wrecks people's lives, marriages, and ministries, same plays run over and over again and still undo people. It's sex, it's money, and it's power. And um, so we're going to look at one of those today that wrecks so many lives, so many marriages, so many ministries, 
Notice very simple, flee immorality. Interesting, the word flee is, the Greek word is fugo. Listen to that, fugo. What do you think that sounds like? It sounds like a fugitive. A fugitive is what? Someone who runs away, right? So the word fugo means to run, to move hastily from danger because of fear. To flee means you see a danger and you run away. All right? And then the word immorality is the word pornea. What do you think comes from that, right? Pornography, right? So it's saying what? Flee any sexual sin. Flee sex out of marriage. And since this undoes so many lives, we're going to unpack those two words today, flee immorality, and we're going to ask four questions from it. And the first question is, what would that look like? If we were to heed that advice and flee immorality, what would that look like? And then we'll ask the question, why are we to flee immorality? And then we'll look at the question, what would keep us from fleeing? And then we'll come back and say, how can Jesus help us flee? So let's start with the first question. What would it look like to flee immorality? So let's think for a moment about biblical examples of people fleeing immorality. There's Jesus and then there's... Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty short list, isn't it? Isn't it? So there is Jesus, but there's one other person. There's a story in the Bible about someone who fled immorality. His name was Joseph, and so that's what we're going to read about today. We're going to read a story so we get a picture in our eyes of what 1 Corinthians is talking about when it says to flee immorality. So if you're new, welcome. This year we're walking through Genesis together, and we've learned that our God has a plan to save the world. And his plan is to bless a people and then to make that people a blessing to all the world. And that people was Israel, and one of Israel's descendants would be Jesus, who would bring salvation to the nations. God says to his people, I will bless you and make you a blessing. What is God's purpose for our lives? To bless us so that we could be a blessing to those around us. So there's a man named Joseph, in, or a man named Jacob, and he has uh, Israel, and he has 12 sons, and one of them's name is Joseph. And a couple of weeks ago, Joseph's brothers sold Joseph as a slave into Egypt. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 39 and look at a story that illustrates what it means to flee immorality. And some of you say, well, could you really do that today? And I want you to know it wasn't easy for Joseph. If you think it's really hard today, Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. Uh, Joseph... <laughs> In the chapter right before this, Joseph's older brother slept with his daughter-in-law, right? That's the family he came from. Uh, it was 400 years. It was 400 years before the Ten Commandments were even given where their Seventh Commandment says you shall not commit adultery. And it was 1,900 years before the Holy Spirit was given. And he was alone. I often say I've never seen anyone walk consistently with God alone. Joseph is that outlier, isn't he? He's alone in a very immoral country, and yet we're going to see how in difficult times what it looks like to flee immorality. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Joseph is a slave sold by his brothers, bought by Potiphar. So important we understand, certainly one of the dark stains in our country is slavery. But it's also important for us to understand America didn't invent slavery. 
Slavery has been around from the beginning, and it's still a problem in the world. Joseph was a slave sold by his own brothers. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. What's God's promise to us? It's what I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing, right? So what's happening with Joseph? He's being blessed, even as a slave, so that he could enjoy God's blessing and be a blessing. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Potiphar is a pagan. Let me ask you, how, how did he look how did he look at Joseph and know that God was the one who was blessing him? How did he know that? What do you think? There you go. What? Joseph told him. Listen, Joseph was an outstanding worker. He was a slave who went to work with a great attitude, and he served his master, and his master said, I've never seen someone like you. Why are you serving me like that? And Joseph would have said, my God is working, and I'm working too. My God loves all people, and he sent me here to be a blessing to you so that you might come to know the one true God. Huh. This week, this week I'm having lunch with someone, and he says, you know, Smiley, Christians today, we just don't stand out in our culture like we should. We just don't. And I said, well, wait till Sunday. Because we're going to hear a story of a man who stood out in an unbelieving culture. And the two ways we're going to see that Joseph stood out is he was a great worker. And that stood out. And we're going to see that he fled immorality. And that stood out. <laughs> Might we stick out in our culture? Wouldn't we? If we were great workers? Wouldn't we stick out in our culture if we fled immorality? Uh, Joseph told him, the Lord blessed the Egyptians. <clears throat> uh, how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Isn't that God's promise to us? It's what? I will bless you, and you shall be a uh, blessing. So God blessed Joseph even as a slave, and then he was a blessing to Potiphar's house. Have you ever looked around our country and said, how in the world did any country on earth ever get to be so blessed? Isn't it because what? God, what he blessed his people, and by blessing his people, what? The whole nation was blessed. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Man, Potiphar liked Joseph. You know why? He could, turn, he could turn everything over to him and know that he was trustworthy. Wow. And that's a pattern we're going to see throughout the Old Testament. I mean, you have Joseph. And he rose in Potiphar's house. And then he rose up in jail, didn't he? And then he rose up in Pharaoh. Why? Because he could be trusted. And then we see others who had high positions in unbelieving governments and pagan governments, don't we? We see Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in Babylon. And we see Daniel in Babylon. And we see Nehemiah in Persia. 
Are you an employee? Do you stand out where you work because your boss knows he can trust you? Are you an employer? Are you an, can your employees trust you because they can tell you're trustworthy, can they? Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was young, 17, 18, or 19. He was good-looking and well-built, kind of like me, you know. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. She said, let's have sex, but he refused. Uh, <clears throat> How often do you hear about a man who refuses sex? Didn't Joseph stick out in his culture, didn't he? But he refused. You say, what does it mean to flee immorality? Here he had the opportunity, and he said, no, right? That made him stick out. Wouldn't we stick out in our culture if we were different? Wouldn't we? But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all the owns in my charge. There is no one greater in the house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. You know what he says? My master, trust me. I do not want to betray his trust. And then listen to what he says next. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You know why he fled immorality? Because he saw it was a great evil. And it was incredibly personal. It was a sin against God. You know when we will run from immorality? When we'll flee? It's when we realize it's not just evil. It is a, what it is a, great evil, and it's not a sin against people, it's a sin against God. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, she didn't give up. He did not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Notice, well, well if you won't have sex with me, how about, how about you just, let's watch a movie together. Let's just sit on the couch and watch a movie together. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's just eat some popcorn. Let's just hang out together. But part of fleeing is understanding that foolish choices lead to wrong choices. So he refused to sit on the couch next to her, not because that was wrong, but because that might lead to a wrong choice, right? Isn't that what it means to flee, to stay way away? He refused to have sex with her or to sit with her on the couch. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by the garment saying, lie with me, let's have sex. Now she's probably naked or seductively dressed. She grabs him and says, let's have sex. Um, how often do you hear about men saying no at that moment? Hmm? And what? And he left his garment in her hand and fled. What does it look like? Here's what it looks like. She's saying, let's have sex, and he's running, right? Uh, he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Now, here's the question. Why did he flee? Do you think he was such a godly person that seeing a naked lady saying, let's have sex, had no pull on his heart? Do you think that's what it was? I don't. I think he was a man, don't you? And I think he sat there looking at her and say, the longer I sit here, the more likely what? I'm going to give in and have sin. So he 
ran away. You do know the best time to deal with temptation, don't you? What? Immediately. Because the longer we look at something that we shouldn't get involved in, the greater the pull it's going to have on our hearts. So what does it mean to flee immorality? It means when the occasion comes, get out of there. See, there's some sins the Bible doesn't say resist or whatever. It just says what? Flee. <laughs> when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came to lie with me and I screamed. He tried to rape me and I screamed. What's that saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right? Isn't that this? He refused her advances, and she was so mad, she says, man, this guy is going to pay for it, right? When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. He tried to rape me, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. What does sin do? Sin wants to what? Blame other people, right? It's that slave you brought. He tried to rape me, right? Now, when his master heard these, the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. Notice it says his anger burned, but it doesn't say that his anger burned, what, against Joseph. You know why? I don't think he's angry at Joseph. You know why? Because, because Potiphar knew Joseph, <laughs> and he knew his wife, and he knew who was lying here. You know why he was angry? Because his whole house was being blessed on account of Joseph. Everything was put under Joseph's control, and now that was all going to be wrecked, and he was angry because he needed to do something. Um, so Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail. If he really believed that Joseph had done it, he would have had him killed. He put him into jail hoping to get him out later, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. Okay, so you're put into prison for doing what's right. What's your attitude? Hmm? Notice Joseph's. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. God's placed me here. Perhaps God wants me to bring the jailer and the other prisoners to faith in the one true God. Isn't that a picture of Paul and Silas in jail? Isn't that what they did when they were thrown into jail? Did they gripe and complain? What did they do? They, they said, God has put me here to be a blessing to others. And so Joseph in prison seeking to be a blessing to the jailer and the other prisoners. Is that us? The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. Over and over again, Jacob, Joseph gets knocked to the bottom, right? And he begins to build his way back up, doesn't he? The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Again, Joseph had a chance in prison by being a good prisoner to tell the jailer and tell the other prisoners how amazing God is. 
The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Joseph told him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So uh, Joseph had a chance to engage in immorality and he fled. And the result of that was he was what? He was thrown into jail, wasn't he? If we obey Jesus, what can we expect? We can expect blessings, and we can also expect sufferings, right? Uh, We can expect both, because there are blessings from following Jesus, but there is suffering too. But I want you to know, if if Joseph had uh, engaged in immorality, he probably would have suffered too, wouldn't he? I mean, if, if Potiphar found out he had slept with his wife, you think he would have cared? He probably would have been executed. But Joseph didn't suffer for doing what was wrong. He suffered for doing what was right. If you're not reading with us through the New Testament, pick up a study and join us. Last week we read in in 1 Peter. Wasn't it good? Wasn't it good? Did you realize the word suffering occurred in there 16 times? 16 times it talked about suffering, primarily for suffering, for doing what was right. <clears throat> See if this verse doesn't sound like Joseph. 1 Peter 2, 20. Remember this verse? For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? I mean, you have sex with someone else's wife and the husband gets mad at you. Uh, What'd you expect, right? Isn't that what it says? For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right, isn't that what Joseph did? Didn't he refuse to engage in sex outside of marriage? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, isn't that what happened to Joseph? You patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. God finds favor when we suffer for doing what is right. So the first question we asked was what? We asked, well, what does it look like to flee immorality? And doesn't Joseph give us a picture of what it means just to run away? And that leads us into the second question. And the second question is, uh, why is it so important? Uh, Why are we to flee immorality? Why is that so important? And doesn't Joseph give us the reason? Doesn't he? Listen to verse 9 again. How could I do this great evil and sin against God? Why should we flee immorality? Because immorality wrecks lives. It wrecks marriages. It wrecks ministries, doesn't it? That's why we flee. Joseph understood something really, really important. He couldn't sleep with Potiphar's wife and lead her to faith in God at the same time. He had to make what? A choice, didn't he? He couldn't sleep with Potiphar's wife and reach Potiphar with the gospel at the same time. Could he? he had to make a choice. And so do we when we go to work, when we live in our neighborhood. We can't sleep with our neighbor or uh, someone we're a co-worker, we can't sleep with them and lead them to faith in the Christ at the same time, can we? We have to what? We have to make a choice. And that's why we flee immorality, because it's a great evil and it's a sin against God. So, well, what would keep us then? Let's move on to the next question. What would keep us from fleeing immorality? No, what would? We, we underestimate the danger and we overestimate our ability. 
We look around us and we see lives ruined. We see marriages ruined. We see ministries ruined. And we say, what? I'll never do that. Never happened to me. If that's you, be careful. When we underestimate the danger and overestimate our ability, we are headed for a disaster. Thank you. So the next question is, how can Jesus help us to flee immorality? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. What, what, wait a minute, smile, wait a minute. What does that mean? I mean, if you overeat, isn't that a sin against your body? If you do drugs, isn't that a sin against your body? What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. Sex belongs in marriage. Sex is meant to be enjoyed between a husband and wife so that as they over and over and over again express their love to one another, sex becomes more and more pleasurable over time. But when people engage in sex outside of marriage, it decreases in pleasure. So when you are involved in immorality, you are sinning against your body and the purpose that God has designed sex for. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. How can Jesus help us flee immorality? He forgives and empowers us. He forgives and empowers us. That's what salvation is. See, the bad news of the gospel is we have a problem called sin. We have sin. And we are sinners. I mean, can we talk about sex? I mean, how many of us have gotten this right? Hmm? Can we talk? I mean, how many of us were engaged in sex before marriage? How many of us as married people have, have had sex with someone besides our spouse? How many of us, how many of us have spent hours and hours looking at pornography? How many of us, how many of us who are married use sex in marriage as a weapon against our spouse? Haven't we gotten it all wrong? Haven't we? And if it's not sex, we've gotten other things wrong. Listen, we're all sinners. The good news is there's a Savior who came to save us. That means to forgive us and empower us. You see, Jesus is our Savior. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth. And he's the only person who ever got sex right. The only person. Never told a dirty joke. Never looked on a woman inappropriately. Never touched someone inappropriately. Tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And then, did you hear what it said here? You've been bought with a price. You know the price he paid? He took all of our immorality and all of our sins upon himself on the cross, and he died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sins in full. And he rose on the third day, proving, proving that he had conquered sin and death. And, and nobody offers us in life. He offers us a chance to start over. He offers us a chance to be forgiven of all of our sins. He offers to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us the desire and power to do life and eternity with him. Oh, listen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. You, you ever wished you could be forgiven? You can. The whole new things have come. You ever... You ever wish that, that you could have help in doing what's right? You can. That's why Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the desire and power to follow after him. And what does he require of us? That we believe in him. See that, that if anyone is in Christ, 
Well, Smiley, what's involved in believing in Christ? It's really simple. Uh, we love to say it's as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. It starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And if you never have, won't you? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Won't you? And then we commit, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me uh, eternal life. <laughs> I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. And if you will, he will. Oh, and if you have, how does Jesus help us flee immorality? He forgives us and he empowers us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one whispering in our ear all the time, flee, flee, flee immorality. How can Jesus, <clears throat> how can Jesus help us to flee immorality? He gives us a robust theology of marriage and family a robust, rich theology of marriage and, of marriage and sex. So often I have a conversation with someone and they ask me a question about sex and I say, well, what do you think is the purpose for sex? To me, people have never thought of it. It's, it's like a deer in the headlights. And I want you to know this is a church and the Bible gives us a very robust theology of marriage and sex and understanding that's what moves us to flee immorality. Let me help you develop a very robust theology of marriage and, and sex. Some people came to Jesus and they asked him a question uh, about divorce in Matthew 19, verse 4, and he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning... Uh, what's the most important verse in the Bible? It's what? Thank you, it's the first one. So how does the great story begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then it gets better. Oh, listen to this. He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. God made two sexes, male and female. And you know, he made us male and female for a purpose. And you know what the first command in the Bible is, don't you? Come on, guys, you know what it is, don't you? The first commandment in the Bible is to have sex. It is. The first commandment in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people who are made in the image of God. And that's why he designed us, male and female. But listen, that's sex. Then he institutes marriage. He made the male and female, and God said, for this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Notice, and the two shall become one flesh. God instituted marriage as the permanent union of one man and one woman. I used to do wedding licenses, used to say bride and groom. Now the St. John's County ones say spouse and spouse. I did a wedding last Friday, Hillsborough County. You know what it had? Social security number and social security number. Talk about a low view of marriage. God made us male and female. And God instituted marriage. And what an arrogant culture we live in to think we know better than God what marriage is or the proper place for sex. God says sex belongs in marriage to be enjoyed alone between a husband and wife because the purpose of sex is to take two people and make them one. 
the purpose of sex is a male and female would come together and have children who are made in the image of God and fill the earth with people made in God's image. And the purpose of sex is pleasure so that a husband and wife share something together they share with no one else so they have a special relationship. (laughs) So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God instituted marriage. God says sex belongs in marriage. Who are we to think that we are wiser than God? How does Jesus help us to free immorality? He forgives and empowers us. He gives us a robust, a robust theology of, of marriage and sex that is special. And then he gives us a big purpose in life, a big purpose in life, big enough that we would want to flee immorality for. Did you hear it? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is, who is in you whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Are you a Christian? Jesus paid a lot for you. You belong to him, therefore glorify God in your body. Now track with me a little bit. I don't think there's many people in here who would come into this room and have sex with someone who isn't your spouse. Isn't that a true statement? But I want you to know this isn't the temple. You're the temple, and I'm the temple. (laughs) We're temples of the Holy Spirit. How can we take God's temple and engage God's temple in immorality? How? Don't you hear what he says? Therefore, glorify God in your body. When you get married and you give pleasure to your spouse and receive it back, you're glorifying God with your body. That's what God made your body for. When you go to work and you work hard, you glorify God with your body. Listen, when you give your life to making disciples, you're glorifying God with your body. That's why we're here. Listen, here's how Jesus helps us. He forgives and empowers us. He gives us a robust theology of marriage and and, and sex. Listen, he gives us a big purpose worth fleeing immorality for. And he gives us a great strategy, too, with immorality. Come on, what is it? It's what? Flee, run. So I told you today's message was very simple. Uh, The title is Flee Immorality. The point is Flee Immorality. Guess what the action step is going to be? You figured it out yet? Flee Immorality, right? But but Smiley, what what does that mean for us? Well, for many, many of us here, we need to repent. Uh, Did you know the word repent in Greek literally means to change our minds? Meta to change, noia, the mind. Um, Listen, many of us, we need to repent. We are involved in sex outside of marriage. And God's word says that's a great evil and a sin against God. And so we need to say, Lord, forgive me. Holy Spirit, give me the desire and power to flee. Will you do that? Listen, many of us are wasting our lives looking at pornography. And listen, the Bible says... Flee, flee pornea, flee immorality. We need to change our mind. Holy Spirit, change my mind that I would see this as a great evil and a sin against you. Help me to flee. Now, now many of us, we're, we're not involved in immorality, but we're making foolish choices. And you know what the problem with foolish choices are, don't you? They lead to wrong choices. Some of us are, you know, we're sitting on the couch with someone, right? Listen, we need to repent and, and flee. Okay, all right, so we need to repent. Now, I want to share with you 
two things that have been helpful to me in fleeing immorality. They help me as a young person, they help me as a single person, and they help me as a married person. The first is, what's really helped me is to be engaged in the mission of making disciples. I had been a Christian for about three months, and a pastor asked me to lead a middle school ministry. So every week, I'm gathering with middle schoolers as a junior in high school, and I'm encouraging them to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus. And you know what? It's really hard to sleep with my girlfriend when I'm meeting with people and encouraging them to follow Jesus. Listen, do you want to flee immorality? Then get involved in the mission of, of making disciples because the more you teach others about Jesus, the more you'll hear it yourself. And then as I got older as a single person, people have often asked me, well, Smiley, did you and Karen sleep together before you got married? I was a pastor. Do you really think I was going to sleep with her on Saturday night and then preach to her on Sunday morning about following Jesus? Do you think I did? I have many, many flaws but, doing, but being duplicitous is not one of them. That's just too hard for me to do. And one of the things I love about my job is all week long I was thinking of this message. And all week long as I'm thinking about telling you about fling immorality, you know who I was telling more than anybody else? I was telling myself. If you want to flee immorality, quit wasting your life and get involved in making disciples. And the more you tell Jesus to, to others, the more you'll want to follow him yourself. Second thing that's really helped me is, um, is that I underestimate my ability and I overestimate the danger. One more time, I underestimate my ability and I overestimate the danger. I'll illustrate, I'll illustrate, I'm scared to death of heights. If you see any family pictures, you'll see all my family close to the cliff. I'm not close, I'm way back. You never know when the earth's going to shake. <laughs> you never know when a gust of wind's going to come and I don't want to be blown over. But how many of us, when it comes to immorality, want to see how close we can get, Right? The richest man, the wisest man, the strongest man, and the most godly man in the Bible all fell into immorality. You know what I'm convinced of? I'll never be richer than the richest man. I'll never be stronger than the strongest man. I'll never be wiser than the wisest man. And I'll never be more godly than the most godly man. But there is one thing I can do better than them. You know what it is? I can stay far away, right? That's something I can do, and, and you can too. So Smiley, what does that look like? Well, uh, I don't spend time uh, with ladies alone who aren't my wife. That when, uh, when someone wants to come to the office, I make sure the door is open, there's someone else here. It means when a lady guest says, I'd like to have lunch, I call up and say, I'd be glad to have lunch, but when I meet with a lady, I, I like to have a third person there. You can bring a friend, or I'll have one of our female staff members meet us there. And know what they often say? Oh, so you don't trust me. And I said, no, no, you don't have it right. It's not that I don't trust you. I don't trust me. And know what people say? Oh, well, you're a pastor. You'd never do that. To which I, have you ever read the Bible? What, the strongest man, the richest man? What? The, the, the wisest man, the most, they all felt in it. Sure could happen to me. I stay away. Know what else I do? I tell people how amazing my wife is. 
I tell people how amazing my wife is. Because you know what that is to me? It's like watching Star Trek and the Enterprise puts up defense shields, right? Every time I tell people how amazing my wife is, you know what I tell people? I'm not interested. Know what I hear people do all the time? They're meeting with someone of the opposite sex and they're complaining about their spouse. Know what they're doing? They've put their defense shields down and they are what? They are inviting people in saying, I'm interested. That's a terrible idea. And it's easy for me to do because I really am married to a wonderful person. So listen, I stay well. I don't spend time alone. Um, I tell people how wonderful my wife is and I, and I lead with a limp. And, and what I mean by that is I'm very aware it could happen to me. Every time I hear about a Christian, especially a pastor who wrecks their life and marriage and ministry, I'm looking, where's that switch on the wall that I can switch and it'll never happen to me? But you know what? There is no switch. And uh, so would you pray for me? If you'll pray for me not to wreck my life and marriage and ministry, I'll pray for you because I want you to know I'm, I'm very capable. And so whenever I speak on a subject like this, I want people to know, listen, I am just one sinner sharing with another sinner. We need Jesus. We do. We all, especially me, we need Jesus to keep us from wrecking our lives and marriages and ministries. So let me ask you, who do you know who needs to hear what we've heard today, or what we've learned today? Who do you know that's so undone by their sin? Wouldn't they love you to go and share with them, listen, Jesus offers us the chance to be forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, and to start all over. Who do you know who'd love to hear that? Or who do you know that right now is just really struggling with sexual sin or some other sin and they feel so trapped? Wouldn't they love to know that when someone believes in Jesus, they're given the Holy Spirit to give them the desire and the power to break free? Wouldn't they love to hear that? Or let me ask you, who do you know that right now is making foolish choices? They're not wrong, but they're foolish. Man, don't they need a friend like you? to run to them and say, listen, I might not see this right, but you're making foolish choices, and the problem with foolish choices is they lead to wrong choices. Oh, you ever wish we could stand out in our culture? Do you? You ever wish that people could tell we're Christians? Here it is. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to save guilty, helpless sinners. Thank you for offering us the chance to, to start over in life and be forgiven and empowered. And listen, if, if you'd like to be forgiven, if you'd like to be empowered, won't, won't you believe in Jesus? Won't you admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and forgive me and, and give me eternal life and, and give me your spirit. I need you. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. 
Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you let us know? Won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, is your people. Lord, is your people. Thank you for giving us a very robust theology of, of marriage and sex. Thank you. And Lord, thank you for giving us a purpose in life big enough to, to flee immorality. And thank you for a strategy. Lord, I pray this week that we would go out and, and flee immorality. Lord, I pray this week we would go out and share with others what we have learned today, that we would glorify you with our bodies. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.